In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series, and I want to invite you to think with me over the next few weeks about the whole experience of hope in our lives. Um, a couple of people have already asked me why I chose that theme, uh, which seems like a reasonable question. Why hope? Why now? And maybe that's a good place to begin. First of all, um, because of the times that we live in. We live in a time in which the gap between rich and poor in our society is greater than any time since the Great Depression. The cost of a college education, once thought to be the key to the ladder of success, is now so expensive that families find themselves in incredible debt. People actually put off marriage. They put off having children to pay off that debt. We are, of course, in an election year. And who can help but be disgusted by the billions of dollars that will be poured into campaigns that are filled with half-truths and lies? all in the name of a political system that is now so intent on winning that virtually nothing gets done by our political leaders. Meanwhile, one out of five children in the world live in poverty. Tens of millions of people in our country alone have virtually no health insurance, and millions more are lacking in insurance. Brush fires burn in Australia, and parts of glaciers the size of cities and states break off in Antarctica, and our administration pretends that there is no such thing as global warming. And millions of Christians don't even believe that that is a moral issue. We no longer listen to the world's leading scientists or to our own intelligence community or to the leading conservative conservative economists in our country. And given that barrage of bad news, not to mention the fact that the Pip, Red Wings, the Lions, and the, <laughs> they all stink. <laughs> given that barrage of news, is it surprising that so many people wind up discouraged and cynical? I don't share Mark Twain's rather wry pessimism. He said that you remember that we, we shouldn't really expect too much of the human species because remember, uh, we were created late on a Friday afternoon when God was already tired and looking forward to a day off. <laughs> it's kind of like the cars that come off of the assembly plant at the end of the week. You don't quite expect them to be the same. Twain went on to say, he said, you know, God earlier in the week did a lot better work. You look at the sunset, you look at the mountains, you look at the birds. God was probably just tired by the time he got to us. <laughs> and I really don't share that cynicism, but it does remind us that our species, by and large, falls short of the glory that God intended us to be. And still I cling to the hope that who we are and who we can become is greater because of the kind of God that we have. Eugene O'Neill, the great American playwright, who in his own life had seen his father terribly discouraged by his profession, his mother was a drug addict, 
He himself struggled with alcoholism. You remember when he came to write his autobiographical play, he entitled it, A Long Day's Journey into Night, which if you think about it, is a very sad commentary on life. I tend to believe the Apostle Paul's vision, which is, of course, the exact opposite, and that that is closer to the truth, that what we are involved in is actually a long night's journey into day. I really believe that we are headed towards the dawn and not midnight. And living into hope is very much a part of living that out in our lives. The second reason for choosing this particular theme is that the whole Lenten season that we are about to uh, move into is really dedicated to self-exploration and to going deeper in our lives. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, my favorite Episcopalian, uh, opened my eyes a while back to something I had never really thought of. And that is that the whole concept of repentance um, would really be meaningless uh, if it is not grounded in a kind of hopefulness. This whole idea of turning around and going in a different uh, direction, which is what repentance means, would be meaningless if it were not predicated on the idea that change is really possible. There is an implicit hopefulness in the words of John the Baptist and Jesus when they call us to repent, to turn away from all that is burdening us and turn back towards God. And the third reason um, for choosing this theme is really a personal one. Um, you know, they say that you teach what you need to learn. And that is the case here. Because the truth is that I, and I suspect many of you, would like to grow into being a more hopeful person. I don't know what it appears like from the outside, but the truth is there has always been more fear and always too much dread in the way I look at life. Um, I was telling somebody uh, the other day about a high school basketball game I played in um, back in my senior year. We were playing a team that was 25-0 and 0 in New York. We had already lost to them twice that season, so it was really a David and Goliath kind of story. Um, I remember uh, before the game in the huddle, I used to jump center for, the, uh, for my basketball team, which will tell you how tall we were not. And I remember the coach looked me in the eye and said, just try to tap his wrist. <laughs> in other words, don't let him throw the ball all the way down for a layup on the very first tap-in. So here we are. It's the, uh, the tournament at the end of the season, and we are facing Goliath yet again. And uh, actually, by halftime, things are going well, and we are up by a few points. And as we are going into the locker room, my good friend Marshall turns to me and he says, you know, it's about time you started playing this game as though we might win. <laughs> and I actually realized at that point that I had not only come to the gym, but I had played the entire first half, assuming that we would lose. We actually won that game by one point at a buzzer beater. There is a way of looking at life where what you see most clearly is what can go wrong. How many people I know are living life 
just waiting for somebody to pull back the curtain and reveal that they are not all that they seem. They are not as capable or as gifted or as loving. This dread that we have that we don't measure up in one way or another. And you see hope, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. It is seeing the potential that is in and among us. Despite our backgrounds, despite our upbringings, each of us has to choose how we will relate to the unknown. And it seems to me that the Christian faith can be a tremendous resource in helping each of us grow in that way. So I guess the real reason uh, that I propose that we spend the next five weeks talking about how can we hope in a world like this is not just because it's relevant to our history, not because of the season that we are entering into, but because I would like to learn along with you how to live into hope. So with that as our prelude this morning, two observations to get us started. The first is that I believe with all of my heart that hope is humanly essential. Hope is where we get the energy for our kind of species. I don't think you will argue with the fact that what breath is to the human body, hope is to the human spirit. You may have heard about the experiment that was conducted at, uh, in the psych unit of Duke University a number of years ago. They were trying to isolate the factors that make for coping, for divine or dynamic coping. And so what they did was they took two vats of water. They filled them to the same level, and they put one rat in each of those vats. The only difference between the two was that one vat was tightly sealed at the top, and the other was left open. And of course, each of the rats began instinctively to swim. Um, so what happened was that the vat was, total, that, that was totally sealed. The rat inside of that, realizing that there was a limited amount of oxygen and no hope for escape, within four hours gave up his instinctive survival uh, desires. He stopped swimming and he drowned. The other vat, seeing that the opening uh, was there, there was hope of escape and that there was an unlimited amount of oxygen, swam for 36 straight hours until they mercifully ended that experiment. And the conclusion is obvious. It's actually the inversion of the familiar aphorism, where there is life, there is hope. The deeper truth is that where there is hope, there is life. Hope is what gets us up in the morning. It's, what's, it's what animates our kind. And one of the ways to get a sense of how crucial hope really is, is to think about a time in your life where you lost touch with hope, where you, like that creature, felt trapped, like there was no way out. Or think about a person in your life who even now may have lost touch with that vital ingredient of existence. I know a hospital chaplain who insists that one of the most common characteristics of mental illness is an attitude of hopelessness. Nothing that gets us up in the morning and draws us into the future. So the first observation, perhaps obvious, 
is that what breath is to the human body, hope is to the human spirit. The second observation I want to make is that hope is not absolute. It is so important to realize that though we need hope desperately, just like if I am hungry, that doesn't mean that every substance out there is going to be nourishing in terms of food. The fact that I need hope does not mean that everything out there is going to prove to be an altar on which I can lay my expectations. Hope is essential, but it is not absolute. For hope to not disappoint us, it has to be based in reality. It has to be grounded in the truth not just wishful thinking. I like the definition of Father William Inge. He says, hope sees what is possible, but not yet. In other words, hope sees that there are potentials in and among us that have not yet been realized. But there is a difference between hope that is grounded in reality and just wild fantasies that are not and therefore will never be fulfilled. The truth is that on a daily basis, we are all have ideas that are never going to come to fruition. It is hopeless to think that you uh, should be born to somebody that you were not born to. It is hopeless to think that you or I are going to turn back the aging process. Though the reality is our whole society continues to worship at the altar of youth. It is crazy to think that you and I are going to avoid dying. It's just not going to happen. There are any number of wishes that are very tempting, but are simply not real. And to engage those with our expectations is to set ourselves up for disappointment. So hope is grounded in reality, but it also sees what has not yet been realized. I think of Jesus, who uh, was always able to see people in terms of what was not yet recognized, but was very much under the surface. Um, his number one man, Simon Peter, who had fished for fish his entire life, in him Jesus saw a fisher of people. Jesus had a way of calling that potential forward. And that is the true role of hope. Hope looks at what is possible, but not yet. It senses what can be, but has not yet been brought to fruition. Do you remember the story about the sculptor who was commissioned to create a statue of Abraham Lincoln? I think this was for a little college in Illinois. And, and so for months, every day in the studio, he was working, chipping away at that stone. And there was a lady, a part of the cleanup crew, who every night would come in and sweep up those chips and put things back in order. And she became just entranced by this wonderful statue that was unfolding around them. So much so that as the statue neared completion, and it was a wonderful um, uh, rendering of Lincoln, um, she decided to stay over one night and actually meet the artist the next morning. And she told him how beautiful it was. And then with great earnestness, she said to him, tell me, how did you know that Lincoln was in that rock? That, it seems to me, is the essence of hope. 
it sees in the stone or more often in the cold, hard reality of life something greater than what yet appears. So true hope is grounded in reality, but it is also expectant of things that are not yet realized, which brings us back to where I started. I am doing this because I want to more and more live into the experience of hope. I want to see in myself, I want to see in others, I want to see in the world that we live in, I want to look at all of that with a sense of expectancy. The Apostle Paul says, and we will come back to this next week, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Or maybe a better translation would be, God is at work for good in all things. The wonder of the biblical image of God is that God is the one who is able to take almost everything and do almost anything with it. So God is the great alchemist. Bill Beekner, my favorite Presbyterian, is fond of saying, in the economy of God, the worst things are never the last things. There is always something that God can do, even with the likes of Good Friday. And to be a Christian is to live into that reality. It is to live in the light of Easter, though we live in a Good Friday kind of world. So one last story. I read about this guy who was shipwrecked. And he wound up washing up on shore on this uninhabited little island. He couldn't get any attention from any of the boats that passed by. Apparently, they were too far away. So he finally gave up hope of ever doing that and decided he would go about the task of building a little shelter because he thought that, like Robinson Crusoe, he was going to live out all his days alone in this place. Well, he managed to get himself a pretty good living space. And one day he was asked out foresting for fruit because he wasn't able to grow things himself yet. And on the way back, he smelled smoke. He arrived at the shelter that he had spent so much time building, and it was burning to the ground. And at that point, he looked up to heaven and he said, I simply give up. I have done the best that I can. It is hopeless. And as he was thinking those thoughts, suddenly he heard the sound of a motor. He looked down at the shore and saw a raft coming from a ship that was off of the island and two men coming up on the shore who said to him, we saw your smoke signal and we realized that you needed help and we are here to rescue you. What he thought was the worst thing that could happen turned out to be the thing that saved him. I honestly believe that this is the kind of God who is beneath reality and who is all around us. He is our refuge and strength a very present help, even in times of trouble. And so I'm inviting you to live into that vision with me for the next 40 days. This is the kind of God that we have. To look for ways to deepen our trust that no matter what happens, we will be given not only the strength to survive, but to thrive. I long for that. 
I pray for that for you as we go through these next 40 days. Amen.